This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. Today is episode 60, and we're bringing on somebody who wants to learn how to hunt elk, and they live in the Midwest. We're going to do a live Q&A with a guy named Jason who lives in Indiana and him and his three other buddies are planning their very first elk hunt. I met these guys at ATA and they're not in the hunting industry, but they're just normal blue collar Midwest guys that want to come out and cut their teeth on elk hunting. So we dive deep into all his questions that he wrote ahead of time. It's a pretty cool episode. I hope you dig it. As far as Elk Shape goes, man, I just want to give a big shout out to everybody flying in for the Elk Shape camp. It's going to be a great time, and I'm really excited to meet some hungry, humble, positive people. When it comes to elk hunting, it is a blessing. What it can do for you is make you more disciplined in all the other facets in your life when it comes to family, faith, work, your career, education, just your hustle will go up because you elk hunt, and you got to work hard year-round if you want to be a decent elk hunter. And that's why we love elk hunting. That's what this podcast is all about. You blue-collar, do-it-yourself, public land, loving, Walmart tag buying that love to chase bugles. This podcast is for you. So if you've never listened to it before, thanks for joining us. We're brought to you by Delayed Gratification, Discipline, Hustle, and Being Accountable for Your Actions. I wanted to give a big shout out to all the sponsors that helped out with the Elk Shape Camp. You guys really made this thing happen. Kinetrek Boots, XL Mountain Gear, Grim Reaper Broadheads, Easton Archery, Phelps Game Calls, On X Hunt, Vortex Optics. Just really appreciate your guys' support, and we look forward to doing one more camp this year in 2019. We'll release the date soon. Meanwhile, check out the store. We got some new swag. We got a YouTube channel. You can find us at Elk Shape on Instagram. We're on the Facebook. And if you need workout ideas, go ahead and check out some free ones on elkshape.com. I appreciate your support. Without further ado, let's get into it. Elkshape Podcast, episode 60, with me, Dan the Fitness Man. Today's going to be a little different. I think it's going to be exciting, a little new. It's going to be a cool angle. I don't know if anyone's done this, but uh, today I'm bringing on Jason Campbell out of Indiana. He sent me a laundry list of questions about elk hunting. 
specifically from a guy who lives in the Midwest and coming out West can be very daunting, semi-intimidating to do that. So we are going to bring him on and go through his questions. Jason, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic, Dan. How about yourself? Can't complain. It's only Wednesday, but uh, it's been a hell of a week so far. I met you. This is no joke. I was walking. I was at the ATA show 2019, and my hotel was like one mile away from the show. And I, uh, just out of pure pride, I'm like, I am not booking an Uber or a Lyft for one mile. And it was cold as balls, but I was like, I'm going to walk to the show. Like, I'm just cannot be soft. So I just started walking, and I made it almost to the show, and these guys roll up in a tundra, and they're like, hey, man, do you want a ride? And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll take a ride. And I hopped into your buddy Wyatt's truck, and you guys drove me over to the, the show, and, and we got to talking for about, what, a minute? And yeah, just yeah. kind of did our quick introductions, and um, I'm not sure if you guys had heard of Elk Shape at that point or knew that we had a podcast and what we were all about, but we got to talking about it, and I think I asked you guys, you ever going to come out west and elk hunt? And you guys were all, like, got a look on your face like, yeah, but I don't know where to start. <laughs> and so I was, I think I told you guys to reach out to me with some questions, and, and you only live once, come on out and cut your teeth out west and Sure enough, man, you sent me an email, and when I saw all the questions, I'm like, dude, we'll just record a podcast, and I'll just coach you on all your plans and your logistics and strategies and see if someone else can learn a thing or two, and hopefully you inspire other people who live out east or midwest or wherever to come try this thing called Elk Hunt. So let's do that. I got an hour set aside. Give us a little background on you as far as what you do for work, your lifestyle, married, family, hunting, kind of let us know about you a little bit. All right. Well, uh, for work, I work in uh, manufacturing. I work for a company that manufactures uh, microelectronic connectors. Um, you know, it's uh, it's pretty it's easy work. You know, I don't mind it. It pays all right. Uh, the schedule is really the uh, the great thing. I only uh, I work twelve hour shifts, but I only have to work three days a week. We kind of flip days back and forth, and so uh, every two weeks, uh, or every, not two weeks, every two months, my schedule flip from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday to Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and vice versa. And uh, I'm actually on that flip right now. I just uh, I got off work this morning. I don't have to go back in until next Wednesday. So yeah, that schedule is pretty sweet, especially when uh, hunting season rolls around. Yeah, that'll work. Okay, uh, how'd you get into hunting? Uh, my buddy Wyatt, the one that was actually driving the truck, uh, I moved, uh, I switched schools. My family moved when I was in third grade and, uh, I came from a city, didn't know anybody hunted, didn't even really know it was a thing. And then, uh, you know, that's all his, his family, they hunt fish. That's all he's ever known. And so, uh, I got hooked up with him, man. And just one day, I think fourth grade, he said, Hey, why don't you come out and, uh, come out hunting with me and my dad? I mean, we didn't even have bows guns anything you know his dad had was hunting with a recurve at the time and me and Wyatt just sat on the ground under his tree and I was hooked after that and been been going ever since dude that's awesome they took you under their wing uh, so where did your family move from uh well we lived in the same area originally I'm from North Carolina but uh, I've been in southern Indiana for the majority of my life um but we moved from a city out to a more rural area uh when I was in third grade and then did you do any college or that kind of thing, or did you just jump right into working? Yeah, I just jumped right into working, man. I did. Uh, I went to college one night to one class, decided it wasn't for me. I'd rather, I'd rather be out trying to make money. So 
I don't know. I need that's one thing. I need to go back. Uh, my work actually they they pay for a hundred percent of your college. So if you go, so that's one thing I definitely need to take advantage of. And I'm just I keep talking myself out of it. Dude, for sure. Well, I think if your company's going to fit the bill uh, with your work schedule, there's no reason not to. And honestly, any time that you vest in yourself, dude, there's it's only positive things are going to happen. I mean, I don't know if you'll get a career change, but you're going to get smarter. You're going to get your mind opened up. And how old are you? I am 31 years old. At age 31, I mean, dude, there's not much for distraction. You're going to probably have the best grades in class and and you're going to be annoying that annoying person like that's 31 in some of my classes that just crushed it and raised the curve on all the tests. But uh, you should do it, man. And, and if you don't know what to study, don't get a psychology degree. Don't get a communications degree. Get a degree in business and learn about business. I, that's, my, right. that's my advice, man, because you can always find a way to open your own business and do a side hustle. And that's... To me, that's where it's at when it comes to hunting is having a side hustle or something that you can make money and, and get, you know, you put a ton of hours in in the front end, but in the back end, you can make money over time and, and have freedom, which is really what yeah. we all want. Now, when it comes to deer hunting, you've been there doing your thing for quite a while. How, how's that been working out for you hunting the Midwest? Do you guys have to lease? Do you guys got permission? Do you hunt public? What do you guys do for deer? <sighs> Well, funny you should ask. Last year, I actually made the commitment to go public land. Um, you know, before that, I only hunted private properties. Um, but uh, for whatever reason, you know, last year, I think I was down to one or two 40-acre farms. And I would just, you know, I'd have to drive an hour to get to them. And I just made the decision, you know, I'm going to try out some public land this year, man. And it's been it's been awesome. You know, I've seen a ton of deer. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dan Enfault. But I uh, started using some of his tactics that I've learned, man, and it's just been awesome. That's what I've got bit by the public land bug big time. And uh, that's one thing I want to go out west and explore more public land, you know. That's awesome. No, I, I really haven't heard of that guy, but what are some of his tactics? Uh, he hunts buck beds. So he will actually go in and he's going into really hard to reach areas, places maybe overlooked, places other people don't want to go. And he's finding out where these deer sleep and he's basically shooting them when they stand up out of their beds. Mm-hmm. So does he hang a set in there and sneak into it? I, no, he mobile, mobile, 100% mobile. He goes in and same thing I did. I had a standing sticks on my back every time and you just go in and set up as quiet as you can and you just you know, try to get as close as you can to them. So not that we're going to talk about deer, but I'm a, I'm a whitetail guy too. So I, I feel like that could potentially work, especially in the mornings when maybe you could beat the deer to their bed. Is that kind of the idea? Actually, no, more hunting in the evening when they are in their beds. Uh, you know, it's, it, I found it's more difficult in the morning to one, beat a mature buck back to his bed because he's going to get in there before daylight majority of the time. Okay. And two, when they get in their beds, they generally circle to the downwind sign. So there, there's a very good chance they're going to bust you if you were in there before they get there. So, you know, with them in their bed, you know where they are, uh, and you can kind of use the wind. And uh, if you play it just right, everything works out. So Now, is in, in where you're at, this may work like, are you guys setting cameras up in small, hidden little gym patches of timber and letting them soak and then sneaking in there <clears throat> middle of the night and pulling them out when the deer are out of there? Like, How do you know it's their bed? No, 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 no. A lot of scouting. 
a lot of scouting. Um, I, I think I spent, I can't tell you how many hours and hours and hours and probably walked a hundred miles last year scouting and just finding, you know, finding their beds, finding the signs. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes it is a big one, you know, sometimes it's, you know, might be a, just a little small yearling or something, but uh, I don't personally, I don't use uh, cameras out on public. I have a few on my private farm still, but uh, yeah, as far as public land goes, I don't, I don't use cameras out there. Nice. Well, Man, I'm, I'll have to I'll hear more about that because I got this one buck that I tried to kill this year. He's been I've been hunting him a few years, and he's up there in that 150 range, and he's a public land buck, but it's not flat. It's all mountains. It's really hard to get to, and I never – my set was super close to his bedding because I'd catch him. I'd run cameras. I'd catch him. He had me figured out, man. He'd, he'd come into – you can bait in Washington. I had a – nice little set of food and water nearby and i had a great i mean it's a great travel route it's on the edge of cover and they bed real close to there but i i couldn't tell you exactly where he bedded but i thought about moving my stand so many times because i just couldn't get him to commit to daylight during late november early december he just never he was just he just outsmarted me and he's always showing up right when i left or he was there and um you know right before daylight i would do an all-day sits he's a sweet buck he's he's really smart but i know he's not bedding very far from where my set is and i hate going into their bedding areas but it's because it's just i hate bumping deer but man maybe i need to listen to a podcast or something with you guys and and learn how to do this the right way oh yeah yeah definitely look up dan infault his uh his way of hunting and his style man that just it'll completely change the way you look at things I'll check it out because, you know, whitetails aren't that big out west for a lot of guys. But in Washington State's got some sleeper whitetail hunting. Uh, so does northern Idaho, uh, Montana. So there's some pretty good bucks that die of old age, and uh, they're, t- they're tough to kill. Um, but if you can get in on them, man, you can get some really mature deer. So I was going to go look for his sheds to find his bedding area, but till we got dumped on snow, I mean, like we were – we were hitting this awesome mild winter and then like two weeks ago like february old man winter just got pissed off and we got uh i think this is like the third most snow in the month of february ever recorded over here so we'll have to wait for some snow to melt to see if i can pull up his sheds but uh, i did leave my cameras up there to see you know when they drop so hopefully i put like three or four cameras out i kind of did a little camera trap line trying to figure them Mm -hmm. out when the last day of season came around well let's talk about elk hunting man that's why you're on here so Last I talked to you guys, it was you had you didn't have a plan to go elk hunting out west, but I really encourage you guys to like now or never it. And it sounds like you're going for it. So who's all going? Well, we got uh, as far as I, as of right now, we have four people. Um, it's gonna be me and Wyatt, and then uh, I don't think the other two guys weren't there. One of them, Craig Bowman, another guy we went to high school with, and uh, uh, Mike Boyles. He's uh, another one of our friends. Uh, he went to, went to the same school. And uh, he's a few years older than us. He actually, he didn't even get into hunting until probably, I don't know, maybe somewhere between five and 10 years ago. And uh, he actually went on an elk hunt uh, last year, I believe, to Montana. Okay. And uh, I don't think he had any success out there. He went with some other friends of his and uh, saw some, but I don't think they wound up uh, putting their tag on anything. Okay. Well, it's nice to have four guys to kind of split the costs of the expenses that kind of lowers everybody's price now logistically are you guys all going to hunt together are you going to share a no. camp no okay what do you think we, we will 
Uh, the plan is uh, two teams. Uh, two guys go one way, two guys go off the other way. And that's one thing. They're, I don't know if they're going to – we're planning on doing truck camping or doing just mobile and using like baby sacks or small tents like that. Are you guys driving? Are you driving? Yeah. Okay. We are driving. We are driving. Uh, it's going to be, I think, uh, from – it depends where we go. But if we're going out to uh, Idaho, I think I looked and it's going to be a 20-something hour drive for us. Yeah, well, uh, we're going to have to talk about dates. We're going to have to talk about, you know, just some of the logistics going into it. Obviously, where is where we got to start. Have you guys narrowed down exactly where you want to go? No, we have not. We're looking Idaho, Montana, and Colorado. Those are our three kind of uh, just spitballing, throwing out there right now for ideas we have where we're wanting to go. Okay. I think Montana's regulations dropped today. So you guys can get on there and start reading through there and start looking through, kind of deciding you know, what you're going to do there, but you're not going to get an over-the-counter tag anymore in Montana. You're going to have to commit to the general draw, which, okay. which you'll draw. Chances are you're going to draw that general tag, and that general tag is going to allow you to hunt all the areas that are set up for general. There's no limited quota areas that you can hunt with a general tag. But Montana is huge. It's vi- It's vastly diverse. And it's got the most generous seasons as far as actual time in the field. Montana's going to trump all the other states. So you'll have to decide soon if you are going to go to Montana. Colorado, on the other hand, is going to have you know a lot of over-the-counter action. They, have, they host the most elk, as you probably already know, out of any yes. state in the lower 48. You just have the most elk densities. The caveat to that is I think you also have the most elk hunters in the state. So you're going to have to be prepared to deal with hunting pressure and trying to find where elk are going to go once they inevitably get pressured. And then Idaho is just also very vast. Uh, It's a great state to go hunt as well. You're just going to have to figure out which part of the state you want to focus your over-the-counter time in. So of you guys there, who's got a member to gohunt.com? Yes, we do. we have who is it mike uh Boyle's actually he is a member on there and i know he's been doing a ton of research it'd be nice if you got you can't share passwords on go hunt they're pretty they're pretty strict on that but uh what you can do is get down into the filtering and the filtering is what's going to kind of help decipher what you do so for those that don't have gohunt.com by the way i'm not sponsored by them and i say yet because i plug them so much they, they're going to have to because <laughs> They're a great resource. I'm a member. I pay the 150 bucks a year. It's kind of a must for when you're looking at really going over in detail. But if I click on Montana and I'm going to pull up, I, you got to be logged in, go to the insider portion and go to filtering 2.0 and then you pick your state. And then from your state, you pick your species. So I would pick elk and then I would probably choose just your general non-resident big game combo. And you guys are going to have to think about that one because I think an elk tag's 800 something bucks. But if you want to tack on a deer tag, uh, your total will be a thousand bucks. So they kind of pretty much incentivize you. Hey, you're already spending eight fifty. Do you want to do the combo? And then now you have a deer and an elk tag in your pocket, which is awesome. Now there's going to be some areas where you hunt. You probably just, I don't know. For me, when I'm hunting elk, there's like there's no deer that's going to deter me from hunting elk. I'm focused on elk, and that's kind of. That's so for me personally, I probably wouldn't get a combo tag, but if I was driving that far, I'd probably looking for any opportunity. Why not? 
So you might, you guys might want to put in for that combo, that non-resident bin game combo. And then Montana's got hunting districts. They don't call them units, but for, for lack of terminology that's congruent with other states, let's just call it units. Um, there's several hunting districts. So have you guys talked about where in Montana you were thinking? No, I have not. I have not. Um, I know he looked at the area that he wanted to go to, uh, the one he went to last year. And uh, last year, the draw odds were 100%, and they actually went down to 50% this year. And so, I mean, the thing we're looking for most is just, I mean, I don't think any one of us really, you know, has feels like we have to get anything. We're just going for the experience, and we kind of just want to get away from people. That's really cool, and I think you need to define what you know what you're looking to experience. You know, if it's like, man, we're going over here, and we're going to get our first elk. Like, we need to get it done. Like that that changes things. If you're like, no, this is a learning curve, which we talk about on this podcast almost exclusively. We we got to get our teeth cut. Like we got to see where we're at. We got to see what we suck at, what we're good at, and kind of evolve and go into it and just you know go through the school of hard knocks. Everybody's gonna have to do that at some point. So in the back end of go hunt, you can filter based on percent of public land in a hunting district. Uh, you can filter animals harvested. So right now I got pulled up your archery. I'm assuming you guys are gonna go archery. Yes, sir. Okay, uh, let's get a let's get a filter on there where we have an at least fifty percent public land in the hunting district, and in Montana, that's gonna that's gonna take away a lot of your a lot of your country from about Bozeman east, but it's really gonna open up everything from the west of Bozeman. And then if you go to Animals Harvest, they have a couple scales, sliding scales that you can pull up. I've hunted Montana a few places, and I tell you, there, there's some really good areas to check out, but when it comes to public land, anywhere for you guys north of Bozeman would be pretty cool. So, and by the way, like, sorry if I'm going to ruin other people's hunting areas. Uh, like for me, I think I'm going to make a shirt that says this, but your success will never get in the way of my success. And I truly believe that. So I'm going to tell a lot of information on this one with you, Jason, because I know it's going to help you and it's going to help others. And if I'm re- p- p- talking about other people's hunting spots, man, hey, tough shit. It's, it's public land. And you don't own it. So I'm looking at the Little Belts. It's uh, Hunting District 454 and 448. Now, I know for a fact that as far as flyover numbers go, this is one of the higher density elk areas in the state. So it's definitely worth looking into the Little Belts. Middle Fork Judith River Wilderness Study Area. You can get away from people, dude. Now, they even have mule deer in there as well. Uh, now, as far as what Go Hunt says, they say that you know you can look at getting in a raghorn anywhere to a 290 bull. There's some whitetail in there. There's some mule deer in there, but it's 74% public land, and the elevation is going to range from four to 8,800 feet. So you guys are going to be able to cover some pretty vast areas and figure out where the elk are hanging. Yes, absolutely. And I've actually hunted there, so you're going to run into like ponderosa pine and some Douglas fir. It's going to be pockets of some open stuff as well. But the access is awesome, okay? There's like, there's National Forest Service roads, uh, there's ATVs, and so do you, any of you guys own ATVs? Uh, yes, we do. I don't know that we're going to take them out there, but uh, we do have access to them. Okay. Well, I would consider bringing at least one, and in Montana, you know, you never know what the weather. It could be really hot, it could be snowing. but uh, it just depends on kind of like what, what, what dates are you guys thinking? 
We are. We have set aside and already have scheduled vacation for September the 12th through the 23rd, and that's uh, putting in there. We're going to have probably four days of drive time total, so our actual hunt days probably leave the 14th through the 21st. Have you guys done any homework on like meat care, breaking down a bull, any of that kind of stuff? No, I, I have not personally. I don't okay. know about the uh, the other guys. So that's one thing I think one of the questions that I had was like after if you do get one, what do you do with the meat? I mean, is it one of those things where you kind of have to pack up and find uh, find somewhere to take it as soon as you can or what can you actually do with it? Okay, yeah, we'll get into that. Don't let me forget that. So looking at this area – I'd say that's a pretty good area to start as far as Montana goes. You're going to need your general tag. You're going to have to put in for the you know the draw. Probably go for the combo because there are some deer in there. And in Montana, just make sure if you get that combo tag that you're in an area where it's general deer as well because they have a lot of areas that you have to draw for mule deer, if that makes sense. So that's, when, that's north of Bozeman, about an hour, hour and a half. That's a good area to start. Another good area in Montana to look at would be anywhere southwest Montana. That's another good elk density area. There's a lot of places to check out, but if you want to pull up like some wilderness area, you know, there's the the Anaconda Pentler wilderness area. It's got some good elk densities in there. You can head a little south. We're just going to have to figure out, are you hunting in an area where there are grizzlies? That's, that's going to be my first concern for you guys. As a bunch of guys from, you know, Midwest coming out here is, you know, you have to respect the fact that there's there's grizzlies, man. And especially the closer you hunt around Bozeman and, and Yellowstone area, anywhere south of Bozeman in that area, that's pretty thick grizz country. Something to be considered. Now, grizzlies, I don't mind hunting where they're at as long as I have bear spray with me. But you guys might not be comfortable with that. Or maybe for your first go, you're just like, you know, man, I just don't want the stress of that. Totally respect it. But maybe if you are going to hunt, you got to do some homework on, okay, where do you put your food? How high do you need to put your food as far as cashed up, out of the reach of grizzlies? What things should you not have at camp that's going to, like scent-wise, that's going to attract grizzlies and things like that? So I don't know what you guys are thinking, but I would say that's part of your research game is figuring out if you're going to Montana – where are you going to hunt where there's grizzlies? And then you got to do your homework on that. And it can be quite intimidating. So I believe the area is telling you about the little belts and some of the Southwest areas should be pretty grizzly free. Okay. But anytime you start looking in the districts that are near Bozeman, especially South of Bozeman, that big timber and South there's grizzlies, man. And, uh, so something to just have on your radar. Now, Colorado goes, we should just talk. Have you guys looked at any areas specifically in, Colorado. No, I have not. Colorado's cool. It's a pretty it's a cheaper tag. It's got the best elk densities. I've only hunted it I think once for elk and I ended up wounding a bull and not finding him. But they have I believe they have a gosh, I think it's like a four point minimum on their public land elk over the counter in a lot of units. So you're gonna have to like make sure that you know that. And their archery season would line up with what your dates are. I believe their archery season is generally, let's just say around August 25th, and it goes usually somewhere around September 25th or 23rd, depending on the unit somewhere in there. As far as actual Colorado, some of their big wilderness areas and in general over-the-counter areas allow the muzzleloader guys to come in there about the time you guys were thinking about starting to hunt. So you're going to have to share the woods with some muzzleloader people. Not a huge fan of that myself. There are some good areas to get away from, you know, 
obviously everybody, but think when people go to Colorado, like a lot of them will do like they'll rent horses or do a backpack trip. And then once you do like a drop camp or something, you're kind of stuck in that area. And what if the elk aren't there? What if you're just at Timberline and, and the elk just aren't high yet? Or the elk are high and they're not low yet. And, and so I like the idea of being mobile and being able to change gears, especially in a short amount of time like you guys have. Like being mobile might be almost everything. If you haven't really keyed on any units yet, I'm going to make you do the homework. Maybe get on Go Hunt and just kind of look up, hey, where can we do our over-the-counter stuff at? And you know what's going to be most viable for us? But there's some really good archery units in there. A lot of a lot of stuff is going to be kind of like right in the heart of Colorado high country. So everything kind of west of Fort Collins, Boulder, west of Denver, that's going to be like your hub of good elk hunting. So there's some good numbers in there. I would do your research. I think Colorado's got a great price. And it's big country. It's high country. So as far as getting away from people, this might be a harder thing to do here at this state, but I really can't speak to looking up the whole muzzleloader angle. So does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Yes, it does. Perfect sense. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And then you got Idaho, good old Idaho. Now, some units open up August 30th in Idaho for archery and others open up like September 6th. Uh, There's a ton of like over-the-counter areas in Idaho specifically. Did you guys have any idea where in Idaho you were thinking? Uh, kind of towards the uh, middle of the state. I don't remember what zones they had even suggested, but uh, there were some towards the uh, like the center of the state, and then some in the like southeastern uh, corner of it. The the southeast corner, you got like Island Park area. It's kind of close to the park. Grizz Country, good elk numbers. Uh, you got a little more north of there. You're gonna hit kind of that Montana Idaho border kind of south of salmon idaho good elk numbers good country gotta know gotta have your onyx or some sort of software to make sure you're hunting the right units and you're in the right state stuff like that do you guys have onyx maps yes 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 we do i love love onyx okay that's huge and that's a must not a should as far as like a center of the state like just kind of depends like are you guys thinking so Middle part of Idaho is kind of blocked by the Frank Church Wilderness. Most guys aren't going to be in there because that's going to be like an airplane or you're going to raft in there. And it's just wild country. I haven't personally been in there yet. And then just south of there is kind of central part of Idaho. Or you can go kind of go north of the Frank Church for over-the-counter action. So you don't really know probably the differences. I'm going to suggest probably just slightly south of the frank church wilderness some really good units in there there's some good elk densities and the thing i like about idaho and that i would probably do some research if i was you guys is find some areas or some units that are a draw rifle area so as you were just said uh idaho does zones so when you buy a zone you have access to say five or six units that make up that zone and that's where you can elk hunt so it's kind of nice you have a couple unit options it's not a statewide general like in montana and once you pick a zone area i'm telling you to maybe go a zone south of the frank church wilderness because there's some units in there that have pretty hard to draw rifle tags for elk but their archer season's over the counter to me that's like okay 
the elk aren't like that they're definitely controlling because rifle guys are going to be more successful than archery guys it just is what it is but when they limit the amount of rifle guys in an area i feel like the elk have a pretty good chance so that's what i would probably look at is maybe heading a little south there and look up some of those units and try to find one that i was talking about you'll be able to do your research and figure that out does that make sense yes it does okay cool well how are we doing so far man am i boring you just making absolutely not okay absolutely not I didn't want to give away too much information, but I want to like really get you shoved in the right direction. So let's get into your questions and let's see if we can build from there. And don't forget about meat care. We'll get to that. All right. Your first question says, have the wolves in Idaho really affected the elk like everyone says? That's a tough one to answer. I can't speak to the whole state, but they're there and they're spread out pretty good. You know, a lot of people will argue, but somewhere in the late 90s, they were, quote, reintroduced. And I don't know how many packs they dropped, how many breeding pairs. I don't know if anyone truly knows, but, you know, that's almost what? That's 20 years ago. They've had time to spread out. Where they, the wolves are seeming to do the best, meaning there's where there's elk and other ungulates that they can eat and they can avoid being shot by man or poisoned or trapped, would be probably northern Idaho. And I'm going to say from about the Locksaw River north maybe part of the lolo and the selway especially so if you look on a map and kind of find the selway bitterroot wilderness area and go work your way up north that's where you're going to find the higher densities of wolves i hunt in the heart of wolf country i kill generally speaking two bulls a year out of that area so obviously no not all the elk are dead but they're making it pretty hard and it's getting more and more challenging, and the elk are changing their behavior. We've talked about it before. In that northern country, the herds are getting smaller, maybe just because of predation, but they're also bulls are rounding up less and less cows. So you'll see a lot smaller herd sizes. So, you know, in the glory days, a herd bull might have 20, 30 cows and a few rag bulls. Now you may get a herd bull with, say, two to five cows. Uh, so yeah and then as far as what i've noticed personally is that a lot of the cows don't bed right next to each other they spread way out and they it's kind of just the detection mechanisms to make sure that they you know if the wolves move in they're not going to be able to have a chance when the elk group up right away and go they're all spread out so that's what i've noticed um as far as vocalizations go i don't think the the elk are ever going to stop bugling but they definitely don't bugle like they used to, but they're still going to talk. They're still biology is going to have its way and, and elk are going to reproduce. So I do think there's wolves south, obviously, of the Selway, but uh, I just think that they may be managed a little bit better. Uh, there's more ranchers. There's more opportunity for um, incidental kills or opportunity kills from man. Whereas when you're hunting the north, that north country, Idaho, it's just so brushed in and timbered that – you can rent a helicopter and not get a shot at a wolf. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. um, that's why I kind of encourage you to head a little bit more southern. Also, when you're hunting brush country bulls, especially for you guys, you may have some interaction with elk, but are you really actually seeing what the elk are doing while you interact with them? Or are you able to sit there and glass the elk and watch and observe their behavior and become like a biologist and start to really understand what they're doing, why they're doing? No. And so I would encourage you to maybe go a little more open sage, 
rolling hill or high mountain with huge opens where you can glass and watch and observe elk and really start to cut your teeth on their behavior. And once you kind of get a few seasons of that, then head north and get yourself into the elk where I think the elk are a little bit more vocal and you can call them in a lot closer. But down south, the elk are going to hang up a little bit further, like like that 80 to 100 yard mark. Is going to be, you'll find out real quick, that's going to be that magical number where you can get a bull to come to and then that's it. That's as far as he's going to come. Whereas in Idaho up north, you can get him to come in at 10 yards. It's just a matter of can you get a shot. When it comes to Idaho, Montana, and Colorado, I would do this. I would say put in for Montana General because you get six weeks of archery. You get four or five weeks. Who knows? Maybe you guys can come back on a flight. Maybe you meet somebody, pick you up at the airport and get on a rifle hunt. You don't have to pick a weapon. You're getting like, I don't know, close to over 10 weeks of hunting with one tag. And you have a huge state. And if you have your truck over here, you can be really mobile. You're not stuck to certain zones like you are in Idaho. You can cover the whole state if you want. You guys can really just get out and move and shake things up. Um, number two, you said which state would be most likely to interact with multiple elk throughout a 10-day trip? Idaho, Montana, Colorado. I'd say based on the dates that you chose, which was you said you're actually hunting the 14th through the 21st, I think you're picking really good solid dates. Right before the elk get that bond where you still might be able to find bulls rounding up cows, I think that's awesome. So I couldn't – I mean I don't know what – if I was in your situation, I really don't know what to tell you, man. Honestly, whichever one probably makes the most sense for the way you guys want to hunt and what your research shows, I would probably go to Montana over Colorado. I would probably be a, t- a toss-up between Idaho and Montana. And you know that's what I would tell you. Uh, Colorado, I just haven't been there enough personally to be like – to speak to it. But I've damn sure been in Idaho and Montana a ton, and I, I like both states a lot. And again, I would probably hunt more central Montana or southwest Montana. And if I was going to hunt Idaho, it would be more southern or southeast. South of the Frank Church, at least. Does that make sense? Yeah, perfect okay. sense. Okay. Number three. So we aren't concerned about killing big bulls, but are concerned about getting away from people the best we can. What key things do you look for to avoid people, but also hunt an elk-rich environment? Also, if avoiding people is impossible, how do you stay in the game? I hunt a pretty heavily pressured area, and I get away from people by pretty much knowing my area inside and out. Uh, You're not going to have that advantage this first go. So I was hoping you guys could at least get it narrowed down to a pretty good area where you you, you experience some bugling and some hunting, and you can go back the next year and go back the next year and just keep learning that area really, really well. What the prevailing winds do there, what the thermals do, which way the elk feed, which way they like to bed, how far are they moving. Some elk only move a couple hundred yards from feeding to bedding. Some move like miles. Like I was hunting this one herd in Nevada this year. They They were going about seven miles as the crow flies from their bedding to their water to their feed. It was insane. So, yeah, it just depends on where you're at. So, Montana's got a lot of private property too. So, it's in its checkerboard in some areas. And so, you're going to find out real quick that the elk were on public when you got there. But based on the pressure, they're going to start to figure out those little safe zones. That's just, it's inevitable. And then I hate playing that public private game, but it's kind of a necessary evil over there. So, you really got to be in tuned in on your Onyx. Not to say that the elk aren't going to leave that public once they're on there, but the chances of you just 
walking up and getting them to come over via calling is very, very slim. So you're going to have to catch them while they're moving, get out in front, set up ambush. You're really going to, you know, and you guys are limited on time. So you're going to have to learn on the fly really fast. And that's what camp's going to be about for you guys. I know you're there for a good time, but you really need to spread out until you really find the elk. Because if you can't find elk, you're not hunting elk. And if you have four bodies and you're not in grizz country, I would almost split everybody up and everybody heads a different direction and kind of have a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, and so on and so forth. And everybody goes out there and you're just crossing off the places where the elk are not. And you're meeting back at camp and you're figuring out where to go the next day until you find that pocket of elk that hopefully nobody else has. But you're going to run into people. And that's okay. Their success won't get in the way of your success, especially if you hunt them right. You got to start figuring out where these elk are going to go as soon as they get pressured. A lot of hunters are going to get winded. They may say that they knew that the wind was in their face, but at the end of the day, they're going to get winded or busted and those elk are going to peace out. And that's where you got to find where they go. So based on your dates, you're, you know, the, the elk have been hunted for basically almost two weeks. You got to figure they're going to be heading to their breeding areas where they get less pressure. So it's going to be hard to reach areas. It's going to be areas that are just, there's no quick little truck drive, four-wheeler drive. It's going to be somewhere where you're going to have to earn it. You're going to have to work for it. And so that to me means, okay, I got to find some north-facing area where the elk can get away from the sun and get bedded in some cooler ground where it's not accessible by truck or ATV. It's got good cover. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what I was thinking. And so just picturing you guys in Montana, I would find a base camp, split up. If you have one truck or two, figure out, you know, drop a guy off and have him do a loop, like a five to 10 mile loop. Drop another guy off, have him do a five, 10 mile loop. Drop another guy off, have him do his loop. And then have this, whoever's in the truck, drive down to the bottom and then go check out some of the lower country. So everybody's walking back towards the truck. Does that, I mean, that's how I would do it. I would use our strength and numbers to figure out where the best elk sign is. Where's the freshest rubs? Where's the freshest, you know, elk crap? Where does it smell like an, a ruddy bull? Did you find a wallow? Was it muddy? Was the water hit? Uh, where's the grass getting knocked down from feeding? Where's the ground tore up from bull raking his antlers on the ground? So the signs there, you guys need to spread out, find it. Number four, uh, while cyber scouting, what components outside of food, bed, and water make an area good? So have any of you guys done Corey Jacobson's uh, University of Elk Hunting? I do not believe so. The only one that might have would have been Mike, and I'm not sure. I haven't talked with him about that. Okay. I would strongly encourage you guys to do that this offseason right away. Corey goes into, like, retarded depth of elk hunting stuff that's deeper than my brain works. He's an engineer that made a university of elk hunting curriculum. He's a guy who's elk hunted his whole life. His dad created elk calls. He competes at elk calling. He kill, he's the elk whisperer and he's made, he's very articulate and made a well-written program and he does sponsor this podcast. So you do get 20% off, use the, the code elk shape and go through all those chapters and dive into the cyber scouting stuff. He does a really good job of showing you what to look for on Google Earth and how to even use Google Earth to maybe drop pins, add notes, hell, even where to park the truck. I mean, you can do add all that onto. Have you spent much time on Google Earth? 
Uh, yeah, I have, I have, uh, but like it, like the questions. I mean, I have no idea what to look for when it comes to uh, when it comes to elk. So um, I use it a lot primarily for uh, around here, uh, public land, looking at whitetail stuff. As far as food bed water, I'm going to use like I like topography overlays. I want to figure out how that because elk are smart, man. They want to navigate the mountains the easiest way possible. They don't want to go straight up, straight down, straight up, straight down over mountains. And so they like to use natural funnels and land bridges like saddles to do some of their moving. And they move quite a ways from food, you know, feed to bed. They like to bed in flat shelf benchy areas where they can have an advantage with the wind coming up, you know, and they can have their back to the downhill side and be looking for anything coming from downwind. You know, they're going to get up and mill around. So I like to find really good saddles. And that are close to dark, north-facing timber, really cool little benches. And then I actually like to even make little plans of where I'm going to be doing like a 5 or 10-mile loop where I can just throw out my bugles and just keep doing that all day until I find someone that wants to answer. And I think that's something really important is to kind of like get topography features and figure out where do you think and how do you think an elk would really want to navigate that area and those with those landscapes and then you can go back with google earth overlay and see if it makes sense based on what you're seeing is it open things like that i'm not a really great cyber scouter i'm more of a boots on the ground kind of guy and covering country i like i tell people on this podcast i use my fitness as my ally like that's my number one thing i got going for me and i make up for being a shitty hunter by being really fit and determined and I feel like that's going to take you a long way. So, for example, when I can't find elk on that five or ten mile loop, I'm not going to go back to camp and drink beers with the boys. I'm just I'm going to probably throw a sleeping bag in my pack. And guys, I'm going to hike until I have to fall asleep, and I'm going to just keep bugling because most elk are up at night eating all night, and, and the chances of getting them to talk back to you at night, in my experience, is a, is way more probable. Uh, your next question, and we're getting down the list here, is your current plan is to truck camp, cover large areas chasing bugles and glassing we will also be ready to bivy hunt if the stars align is that the most sound plan for beginners open for suggestions so have any of you guys ever bivy hunted no have not okay it sucks it's hard like um if you watch the land of the free guys and they make it look easy but they don't do a great job of showing behind the scenes of all the stuff in their pack and how monotonous it is to carry all that extra weight. You're going to definitely limit your speed and, and the amount of area you can cover, even if you're in really good shape, uh, unless you have really, really light gear. But ultimately, you're going to run out of food or water when you bivy hunt. It wouldn't hurt to do two to three days at a time, or hell, even a night, and just try it out while you're there. Might as well get your, you know, get your feet wet on some bivouac hunting where you can test out some gear and you can find where to sleep, and maybe you'll get woken up in the middle of the night by bugles. That's always awesome. I think it's almost, it's like a really sexy idea, like backpack hunting for elk, but depending on your country, I feel like you might be better off just hunting from a base camp or hunting from your truck and change your base camp more and just keep moving to trailhead to trailhead until you find where there's a hub of elk. And between the four of you, I don't know, man. Like, if, as long as everybody's got like in reaches or GPS, pre downloaded maps, you're safe, right? 
and you have like good communication on where to meet. I think you guys divide and conquer. You you use your numbers to your advantage until you find the best elk to hunt. Maybe you all find elk, but maybe one of you finds elk that are bugling till noon. I want to hunt those elk that are talking till noon versus the elk that maybe give you a rip here or a rip there in the morning and then they shut up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So truck camping is underrated. I think it's viable depending on your area. I like covering it. I like being mobile. I like spike camping. Like if I find elk in a pretty good area and I feel like, you know, it's a chore to get in there and it's just going to burn me out hiking in, hiking out every day, then I'll probably set up a spike camp and kind of cut some distance down and stash some extra food there, especially between four of you. Otherwise, truly bivy hunting, I don't know if it's going to be super advantageous other than you know, you might get lucky and fall asleep somewhere where the elk start bugling. But generally speaking, be ready to do all three. And I think that'll work. And you just kind of play it by ear and, and run an audible if you need to. We're going to take a break from these questions and kind of figure out, okay, based on what we've talked about so far, what what are you thinking as far as, man, uh, is this overwhelming? Or is this like, oh, I got some research to do? Or is your plan starting to come together? I mean, I know we definitely have a lot more research to do. If nothing else, man, this is just getting me pumped up, ready to go. Um, like I said, I, I could care less about killing anything. I'm one of those guys. I just love being outside and experiencing, you know, the wilderness and stuff like that. And, you know, trying to, you know, just basically live out there. Uh, I've, if, I tell my wife all the time, if it wasn't for her and the kids, I'd be living in the middle of the woods in Alaska. So, you know, I'm an outdoorsman through and through. So for me, it's just getting out there and, you know, just hanging out with a bunch of good guys and, you know, getting, getting the whole experience. Definitely. I, I feel the same way, man. So as far as just looking for some of the most beautiful places to hunt, I mean, you can't go wrong with either three states. They're all unique to their own environment. I think Colorado high country, honestly, is probably some of the sexiest country you'll ever see when it comes to pure elk country with aspens and all that stuff. So I'm really, really curious to see what you guys decide after you talk, but you'll have to keep me in the loop. Number six. Oh, definitely. What is the most overlooked piece of gear that is crucial to your success? I think nowadays it's probably my iPhone. I have a, I, I always buy iPhones, kind of an Apple products guy, but I always buy the ones with the most memory on them. I don't ever want to be the guy that's like, oh, I got to delete some pictures to take a picture. You know what I mean? So I think it's my iPhone because I can run Onyx on there. I pre-download the most detailed maps off their website. I add a bunch of notes and waypoints on my desktop. It syncs to my phone. Those guys at Onyx literally work their butts off to make this thing robust. It doesn't crash. I don't get bugs. And I leave the tracker on. And so I, tr- I leave the tracker on while I'm chasing elk all day, and I save them. I save my track. And what you can start to see is when you're chasing bugles, you're usually on elk trails, and if you – figure out the elk trail systems, you have a huge advantage. It's like all of a sudden now I gave you a map. Well, here's the map of the elk trails. These are the places, these are the highways and the back roads for the elk. This is how they're going to travel. Once you start looking at that and you really start, now you can go to other places and really decipher where and how the elk are going to travel. So the Onyx maps, putting some notes in there ahead of time and leaving that tracker running all day on airplane mode. Never had a battery issue. Memory is never going to be an issue for me. 
and I don't even have uh, I don't even carry GPS anymore. So that's probably the most overlooked piece of gear that I think is so critical to to my success and studying my my maps after the season, looking back and going hindsight and kind of being a student of where you hunted, what you did well, what you could have done better. So hopefully that that kind of makes sense on that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect sense. That's awesome. All right, we're moving on. We got number seven. What exercises would be the most important for us to focus on to prepare for the hunt? Well, that's a rabbit hole. I don't want to dive too deep on that. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you, you need to do things every day to break a sweat. Like I want you to break a sweat somehow, some way, every day. If it's shoveling snow for 20 minutes aggressively, I'll take it. If it's loading up a 30-pound pack before work or when you get off work and just going for an hour and getting sweaty, I'll take it. Hell, if it's putting a yoga DVD on and turning the heat up in your house and doing a little bit of hot yoga in your living room, I'll take it. But I just wouldn't let too many days go by without sweating. I would almost try to break a sweat every day in the name of better elk hunting. If you wanted to go deeper than that, I would say there is no substitute for boots and a backpack and shooting with your bow, shooting your bow with the boots and backpack on, and maybe even doing some wind sprints, some burpees, some squats, and shooting under a high heart rate. I think all of those things are going to help. I like strength training. I like big compound movements to kind of hold up your body's durability in case you take a fall or in case you twist an ankle or just getting just getting up over downfalls is all about having really strong connective like soft tissue. And yeah, we want muscle strong, but I want the joints and the soft tissue to be strong too and increase your body's ability to resist injury. So decrease your injury potential, if you will. I like to mix cardio and weights together, kind of blur the distinction, doing some high intensity circuits. I do a little bit of CrossFit. I do some weightlifting. I like some of the gymnastic stuff. Uh, I just try to keep it a variety so I don't get burnt. I keep a journal. I have workout partners that hold me accountable. I'm there when they don't want to be and they'll show up. And uh, the days that I don't want to go, I know that they're counting on me to be there. I like working out in the mornings before the kids get up because there is no honeydews in the morning. Your boss doesn't want you to run this errand. You ain't got to go to the dentist uh, or go grocery shopping. You just need to go work out and then it's done. You did it. It's bankrolled. So the most important thing is to stay consistent with training starting now. Find what you, you know, what works for you. Don't gravitate to only the things you're good at. A lot of people are really good at running but can't lift weights for shit. And so they don't, they just end up being little weaklings. And then flip that, you got some big power lifters that love moving the barbell, but they don't like running because they suck at it. And then they get gassed on the mountain. So I think you need to have kind of like a, a portfolio of fitness that's got a lot of diversity from swimming, biking, running, lifting, hiking, stretching, yoga, variety, and I hope that answers that question, but consistency is going to win. Number eight, what environmental – do you have any questions on the fitness stuff? Oh, no, 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 no. I say you covered just about everything. Basically, just make sure you do stuff every day is the biggest thing. Absolutely, and even especially on the days you don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. I need you to get stronger between the ears. Um, I tell people that fitness is my ally, but really what I'm trying to say is that I'm mentally tough. And a lot of people won't just boldly say that, but the harder the hunt, the better it's going to be for me. I like things difficult, and I make I make myself do 
unsexy things every day so that when it comes time to hunt, I'm pushing harder than anyone when, when the chips are down. That's when I'm at my best is when I'm getting pissed off that I'm not got an elk down yet or that there's a bunch of other hunters in my way. I'm going to try I'm going to wake up earlier. I'm going to go further or I'm going to try harder. You know, I'm just not going to give up. So I want between the ears training and the only way I found to do that is to do hard things. And you decide what that means for you. Number eight, what environmental changes do we need to keep an eye on between now and the elk hunt? Forest fires are obviously going to displace animals. What about harsh winters or dry summers? Dude, these are some well-thought-out questions I'm really impressed. So right now, the last, say, it's 2019, I'd say in the last nine years, almost every other year I've had fires affect my hunting plans. So it's a very viable question which you're asking. I can't control the wildfire scenario, but here's what you can do. You can go to Onyx and look up historic burns. You can run that filter, and I would strongly encourage you to do that for Montana because in like 2015, I want to say, maybe even 16, Montana, a lot of it was on fire. And so it's a good chance that those areas are really lush and ready to go lots of good feed now and they're probably not going to catch on fire again for a little while so i would go look up some of those old burns from 2015 and older that's fine but i think burns are just i think almost everybody knows this but maybe they don't burns is where it's at and i think for where you guys are looking in montana that whole damn state was on fire a couple years back so find out where those fires were where where was it burning in public where was it burning in public wilderness? Start making plans to go check that country out on your limited amount of time. Kind of, yes, yes, you know, it does. As far as the the winters and stuff, I think you gotta. There's websites out there to check snowpack and stuff like that. I was gonna say that Idaho was having a pretty mild one up here north, but not anymore. Not <laughs> after the last two weeks. Uh, and I think if you just Google snowpack surveys, the National Resource Conservation Service will have really up to date reports and tell you what percentages they're at. And it does play a role. You know, there can be some really harsh winters and they take a toll. But for where you're looking at, I think everybody's, I think Idaho and Montana are about the same. We were having a mild winter and then we got dumped on here the last couple of weeks. And we'll just have to see how the rest of the season goes. Number nine, if we were to hunt grizz country, do you suggest bear spray or sidearm? 100%. No question. Don't be an idiot. My buddy, Bob Lagasa, which I should probably get on here. He's a dude who is a badass skier, good elk hunter. He he's a guy that out of Livingston, Montana, met up with a sow and got his ass kicked by that sow. And he was just walking through some a little bit of thick brush and like turned right into her. He had no chance. The bear spray did not save <laughs> did not really like we'll have to bring him on here to tell his whole side of the story, but the bottom line is he had bear spray, bear spray got used, but he still got chewed on pretty good. So you bet you damn sure better have bear spray. So, are you guys thinking Grizz Country if you go to Montana? Really, not. No idea. No idea. That was something I think. Uh, wanting to know more. Do you have a preference over one or the other, over bear spray or a sidearm? Uh, both would be my preference. Both. Some states, right. I don't think even allow you to have carry a pistol uh, during archery okay. season. But I think most of the good states are totally cool with it. So, I would pack both, man. Um, especially after I just killed a cougar and realized how big and scary they are. Uh, I saw that, man. That was 
absolutely awesome. They're giants, man. I, uh, you just wouldn't have a chance. But what do you guys – let's finish up with talking about some things that you can control. We talked about the fitness thing. Are you overweight or any of the guys soft? Uh, a, cu- a couple of us are a little soft. I mean I've been dropping weight like crazy. I'm probably – I'm down about 35 pounds since Christmas trying to get ready for this. So. Dude. And I know everybody's been – everybody's really – since we set the dates and all that, everybody's really stepped their games up trying to get in shape. So I love that you guys are going for your dream. That's so cool. Yeah, 35 pounds uh, is 35 pounds you don't have to care anymore. You know what I mean? And yep, that's, exactly, that's exactly. I'd still on your pack. I'd still like to lose – yeah, I'd still like to lose probably another 20 or 30. But, you know, I don't – you know, I, I'm – kind of the point i just uh all that basically has been just through diet you know stop eating like shit and basically if i can't pronounce the ingredients on a package i don't eat it that's incredible and you have a good why and that's what this podcast is all about jason like dude there's people that could answer your questions way better than me but what i'm trying to say on this podcast is take elk hunting you are blessed to be an elk hunter it is a blessing and what you can do is you can use elk hunting as a platform as a launch pad to make yourself better at life. Like if you weren't going on this trip, maybe you wouldn't lose those 35 pounds from cleaning up your diet. Well, I know you're a better version, 35 pounds less. I know you're more confident with those 35 pounds gone. I know you feel better. I know you're probably a better employee, a better husband, a better dad. And you did it because of elk hunting. So we're, we're going elk hunting, guys. I get it. But we're going to use, we're going to leverage elk hunting to make us better men, better at our fitness, our nutrition, loving our family and providing. And so that's what gets me fired up about elk hunting is that you can utilize it. So to get those next 35 pounds off, I want you to maybe go down to your closest CrossFit gym, go try them out for a workout for free. If they'll give health, they'll give you a week free, which they should try them out. Go test out another one. There's some bad apples. There's some good ones. Go- I've actually, I actually used to do CrossFit. I did it for a couple of years, and then uh, I kind of broke my femur, and uh, haven't haven't really been able to get back into it since. Now, how'd you break your femur? <laughs> uh, it was a bull riding accident. Ah, I see. Well, I would get back into CrossFit, and if you did CrossFit, then try to build your own little home gym. I, Mm -hmm. if I didn't own a gym, I would build a little gym at my house. Hell, I have here, I have an assault bike. I got a pair of 50 pound dumbbells. I have a pair of 25 pound dumbbells. I actually have a skier here. Uh, You don't need to get that, but, uh, and then a a sandbag uh, or a backpack and a step up. Sky's the limit. You can crush yourself every day. Like I said, it's just a matter of doing something every day, break a sweat. And some days you're going to dig in and get after it. And other days you're just going to kind of, you probably half-ass it, but at least you broke a sweat and you did something that you didn't want to do and you're going to make yourself better. But I would like to see you get those next 35 pounds off. I think you have more than enough time. And then we're talking 70 pounds that you don't have on your body. Dude, you're going to crush it. As far as shooting your weapon goes, do you have – like no one's going to shoot an elk on a flat 20 yards like your backyard. It's just not going to happen. So coming out west, you really need to get with a pro shop or if you're a bow smith and have a bow press and can tune your own stuff, you really need to dial in and make sure that your sight has third access on it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. Do you have third access adjustment on your bow sight? I do, yes. I shoot a, a black gold ascent verdict assault. Perfect. It's a great sight. You can do it in the door jam. Use a plumb bob. You can have someone just look at it. You, can, I mean, there's several ways to do it, but I would just make sure that you have third axis dialed that all the guys do because the last thing you want to do is miss a chip shot uphill, downhill because you're mm-hmm. third axis or wound the animal. So 
and then start practicing your elevated heart rate shots with some serious pitch up or down, especially the, uh, those uphill shots are really challenging for me. And just work on shooting anything but flat 20-yard shots. Depending on your topography, I think you can get an elk killed at 50 yards or less, no matter where you go. And work on shooting with your boots, your backpack on, because you're almost always going to shoot an elk with your backpack on. You're, there's not going to be a lot of times you just take your backpack off and sneak in on a bowl. It's just not the way it works. So calling. Who knows how to call? Who are you practicing? Like, what calls are you going to use? Things like that. No idea. Um, I know the one that went out, I know he's got some experience. The rest of us are going to be, um, you know, I have no idea, looking at trying to learn. Well, I've killed a lot of elk, but you still are going to find me practicing. If you went into my truck right now, I got a green amp call from Phelps right there in my cup holder and i leave it there on purpose so i just throw it in and practice from time to time throughout the year so it's not something foreign come september and especially if you have never really done it much you you need to start practicing so i would go look up phelps game calls uh there's a link off the elkshape.com just go to their website and order yourself some amp calls try you know order all the colors get like a bundle and then get a bugle tube and start practicing Start practicing the most basic, fundamental. I have a YouTube video out there where I go over super basic calling, like your locator, uh, challenge bugle, chuckles, herd gathering. Just some. You don't. You don't have to be a world champion to call an elk in. That's a fact. It's all about kind of timing and emotion with your calls. But uh, there's so much resource out there in the internet that you could really learn how to call, but you need to get your calls in hand. And I would have them in – that's probably like the first thing I'm going to have you do when you get off the phone is go order your calls. All right. I can do that. Have your boys do the same. So so we talked about fitness. We talked about calling. We didn't talk about nutrition, what to take for that. We can get into that later at a later podcast. But um, as far as gear goes, what boots are you going to run, what backpack, things like that? I have a pair of Krispies. Uh, I know – at least one other guy does. Um, not sure what the other two are running. For packs, I haven't got – I've got an old like military-style pack that I'm probably not going to take. Um, I've been looking, doing research. Um, I'm kind of torn between uh, one of the new Mystery Ranch Beartooths or one of the Exos. But I'm really kind of – I don't know if I want to wait until summertime when they bring their new stuff out. Or if I just want to go ahead and bite the bullet and get one that they already have out. I see. Okay. Both are good companies. I've used both. I do think Mystery Ranch runs a little heavy. Uh, I think Exo is definitely a little lighter, which is important to me. Uh, I like the system on the Exo as far as pulling the pack away from the frame and throwing the elk meat on there. And those are some good dudes. But, you know, I don't know if you'll catch a show or something where you can at least, like, try out both. Probably not. But... You'll have to make the best decision. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm real tight with the EXO guys, and they won't tell me anything about what they're launching. So for all I know, just get yourself an EXO for now. I would get a 5500 because you can always make it feel like a 3500. I do run a 3500 most of the time, but I have both bags. So if you're just going to have one bag, get the 55 and run with that so crispies that's great i rock uh, kinetrek boots i think both are made in italy they're definitely not made in the states some good boots there what about layering systems and and being able to peel layers and 
merinos, all that kind of stuff. What are you guys rocking for that? Uh, I, I'm the oddball of the group. Um, I rock most of my stuff is Cryptek. All the other guys are running Sitka systems. Okay, okay. All That's all good. As long as there's some systems in play, some synthetics that you can layer up, layer down, that's great. We don't need to get into like a pissing match about Kuyu, Cryptek, or <laughs> Sitka. I'm a Sitka guy, but hey, as long as you're not wearing cotton, that's good. Uh, and so now the, the only reason I went with the cryptic is just to be different. Like I said, I'm the oddball. I got to be the wild card. Uh, so I had, I had, I couldn't, couldn't have the same as everybody else. There you go. Yeah, you <laughs> go, man. So as far as taking care of an elk, if you got one, it's a pretty long chapter, but here's my, here's my answer. I've lost elk meat one time, hopefully never again. And what I did to lose that elk meat is I got only half. So I shot this bull in the morning. I walked over, took some pictures, uh, got my dad down there. My dad and I split up, got him down there. And we noticed that there was a road above us. And we got lazy. And we we're like, okay, let's just, uh, here's what we're going we're gonna to do the gutless method on this bull. And we're just going to take these qu- first quarters off. And then we'll flip them. And we'll just get a truck up here to above him, and we'll just do the rest of the elk when we get the truck there. Long story short is that road was gated, and it had like eight gates on it. We couldn't get a truck there. We dicked around, and all the meat that I didn't take off spoiled, and it didn't take long. And so I hate even leaving elk overnight on a bad, say you make a an uncertain shot, and you're like, oh, I'm just going to leave them overnight. I hate even doing that because elk elk hides are so thick. They can, depend on what you hit, especially if your arrow went into the guts at all, you can really create an oven inside that carcass, and you can really spoil your meat fast. So let's just talk basics. You get an elk down, I want the hide peeled right away. If you guys want to do the cute little gutless method, go for it. I usually take one half of the elk off, so I run a, I'll cut from, let's say, the tail up to the neck, and then I take off the shoulder, the back strap. The hindquarter, tenderloin, neck meat, rib meat. Then I gut it because usually I'm by myself and I can't usually can't flip elk very well by myself. Then I gut it, get the guts out, and then I flip it, and then I do repeat. So shoulder, back strap, hindquarter, tenderloin, neck meat. And when I said neck meat, I usually probably start at neck meat, quite honestly, because that's that's some of the meat that you don't want to lose and it's really good for burger and other things so get the get the hide off get the guts out if you got four guys or even two guys let's just get the guts out right away let's not do anything cute let's i would recommend get the guts out depending on the weather and especially where you guys are going that time of year is usually not i mean it can be snowy and if it is great but otherwise plan on getting that meat hanging above a creek right away once you know our general rule of thumb is this once we get all the elk meat back to the truck. We're gonna we're gonna drive to a town and get it in the cooler. Mm-hmm. We're not gonna we're not gonna mess around with like some sort of you know. It may take a couple of days if we're pretty deep to get it to the truck, and that's when you hang it above a creek so that cold air is moving. Other than that, I don't like to elk meat's a pretty important deal to me. It's a big deal, and so I don't like to mess around. We'll get that meat to the truck and get it to town. So that's kind of get it on ice at the very least. But I don't know if you guys have a. Big cooler like a Yeti, what a Yeti two ten or something. Say so we've we've got quite a few decent sized coolers, so that would definitely help to get that meat on ice. So I like to keep the meat on the bone if I'm close to a truck. If I'm in the backcountry, I'll take the meat off the bone. I'll debone it. So okay. 
just kind of depends. But you guys have some manpower. Do you guys have in reaches? We do not. No, I think that's uh, on the to be purchased list. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. I'm probably going to do some solo hunting this year, and I'm going to get an in reach so I can communicate a little bit better with my family. But uh, I, I think you can pay for a three month subscription or what have you. So I'm in the same boat there. Um, well, man, we covered it. Hour, hour plus. There's, I feel like there's a lot left to be answered, so let's do a part two. You get with the boys. You go over this one with all your notes you took and get me some more solid answers. And then if we start diving in, we'll, we'll pull up Google Earth and record, and I'll talk about what I'm seeing right there on Google Earth. We'll pull up Go Hunt. We'll, we'll, we'll do some Internet research and see if anyone's willing to share information and get you guys lined out and hopefully have the best first elk hunting experience of your life i'm sure it's going to be amazing that's awesome man i'm looking forward to it thanks for all your help man hey my pleasure and if you need anything you got my email you got my number reach out brother all right man i appreciate it all right jason have a great rest of your day thanks you too all right hey elk hunters Corey jacobson here from elk101.com and if you're like me you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting, regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information, organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic, from planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between. The University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today.